before we get into the episode today, guys, big thank you to Hardware Pioneers Max for sponsoring today's episode. Hardware Pioneers Max 2022 event is taking place in London very, very soon. Make sure you get yourself down there. It's a truly amazing event with lots of great people. Thank you very much for coming on. Uh, as we were saying backstage, really excited to, to learn more about what Deloitte are doing in the IoT space. Uh, so excited to get into it today. Um, just to kick things off then, um, can you give me a brief background about who you are and why you joined Deloitte? Oh, two, two big questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who am I? Um, who am I uh, um, professionally? So I'm a consulting, uh, consultant by... By profession, that means I never had a real job. I have been in consulting for the last uh, 22 years, uh, always on the border between business and technology. Um, so I have a passion of technology when it works, when it makes sense, when it's well organized, when it's delivering value. Yeah? So that that's really the why I went into uh, into the profession. But I never really did that uh, in a business context, uh, so to say. I've worked in, in factories, uh, in various roles, uh, but always as a consultant. Uh, so um, I'm a consultant by, really by nature. Um, and that, 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 that's also the reason why I, I joined Deloitte. Um, previously, when I looked at Deloitte, I thought, these guys, they only make slides. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and I was a bit wary of, of joining a company like uh, so big. But uh, what I felt is that when we are on projects, we are on projects in a very multidisciplinary manner. That means that we can bring lawyers to the table, accountants, technologists, consultants, strategists, and all, all in one mix in one project, which really makes a difference when you are working on innovative projects. Uh, sometimes the law needs to change. I, I did once a project where there was no, no real definition in the law about real time. What does that mean? And what is it uh, to use data in an operational context? And so you immediately come to we need to change certain things to, to make it available. And that's that's one of the reasons why I joined Deloitte to, to, to work on these bigger projects, but also why I stayed, huh? because the impact that we can have. Mm. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. And I and I complete I completely resonate with that. And I think, you know, most people know Deloitte for consulting, strategy, enterprise technology and programs. Um, so it's interesting to see the involvement in, in IoT. Um, how big is the IoT practice within Deloitte? Well, if you look at it from a global scale, we're about 1,200 consultants um, of various types. So some of our people, they work more on uh, the real technological parts of IoT, huh? meaning uh, edge to cloud and all of the different components that come in between. We have a team that work on hardware. We have a team that work on properly the business cases around IoT. So what value will it bring? Will a connected product portfolio help to conquer new markets? That, that's a whole different discipline than the technology discipline that we have. But in total, about 1,200 people um, in various disciplines. So we really aim to be end-to-end. -end, uh, and end-to-end yeah. -end means we design the solution, we implement the solution, but we also run the solution for our clients. Uh, and that last part, that's where really the rubber hits the road and where you have to know what you're doing. Because changing something uh, from a, I just sell a product to 24-7 service operations, that, that's mm -hmm. a tremendous impact for an organization. Um, I've once uh, uh, done a very interesting project around um, tire as a service. So it's a completely new business model. Uh, it's all about measuring wear of tires in specific contexts. Yeah. 
your, your typical sales force does not know how to sell such a model. They know how to sell a thousand tires to, to a transport company, but they don't know how to sell a subscription. So that, that's really a, a new discipline that we see emerging in the market. Um, and I really like that element of it. I can today buy convenience, 21 degrees in my house, which means I buy heating and airco at the same time. I'm not aware that I'm buying two devices, but I'm just buying the 21 degrees in, in the house. So I think that there is a major shift in an easier integration into our daily lives uh, with IoT. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great use case around the tires, right? I mean, um, and I think it's just one of an almost limitless amount of things that you can do when it comes to sensors and harvesting of data and the use of that data, which is why I think for people... You know, IoT has barely kind of scratched the surface of the amount of industries it can be involved with, um, and and the amount of different uh, you know places that we can go with this. Um, you mentioned, of course, the size of Deloitte as a business is you know globally you know probably four four hundred thousand half a million people, twelve hundred in IoT. So I guess that gives you a really good grounding to be able to go end to end, doesn't it? To actually do some of these projects and manage them for customers. Yeah, well, I still see. Two types of clients in the market, the ones which are experimenting. Um, they don't have any clue yet on how it will change their, the nature of their business. So there we really have to go into the, the strategy, defining use cases, setting them on a roadmap, uh, finding the, re- the even the capabilities to deliver upon these use cases. So really the transformation of the organization as such. But at the other hand, we see even second generation IT clients that have implemented the first IT platform like seven, eight years ago that are now in the refresh of technology, that are now in the refresh of that business model. They've seen yeah. what works and what doesn't work. They, they feel that they can create new types of value, but that clients are not ready to pay for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you have really the, the two types of markets that you have to be able to serve. So within the 1,200 people, yes, there are people that are more the innovators, uh, working on the R&D parts of, of IoT, I would say. And we really have great thinkers in, in that space. But when, when in what I was mentioning before with running IoT services, so in the background running a, uh, a smart factory solution, for instance, where we have multiple use cases on real-time asset monitoring or quality sensing, well, that's a whole different type of skills. You have to really understand plant operation, shop floor operation, what an operator needs how you can help him from a remote uh, location. That is a t- different uh, skill set that you need. So we, we really need to be multidisciplinary to be able to serve uh, a, a larger client that is really in the second generation as well. Yeah, yeah, no, I can, I can completely understand. And But get, get, given the amount of people that you've got within this, there's obviously certain people's focus in certain areas, as you've mentioned, and, and you're able to deliver that. And it's interesting that you you follow through to the running of the IoT platforms and the service element as well, because that that's quite a big part, I would imagine. You know, just delivering something to a customer and handing it to them is one thing, but it's the it's the aftercare, which is a whole different ballgame. Yeah, it, it's a whole different ballgame. But not a lot of companies are good at that. Huh? Again, mm-hmm. you need to have a 24-7 um, organization, so a new, whole new service operating model to be able to uh, to run these connected products. You also, uh, th- there is a new segmentation of clients that has to be done. Now, when it's on shop floor, you know the operations. You know they work in different shifts. You know how to serve mm-hmm. that. But when it's more a connected product, you, you're not going to serve every light in everybody's house. Huh? If there is a problem, probably there is a, uh, a self-service that needs to be provided. 
So you cannot run these services as such as an organization, as Deloitte, the organization to do them for themselves with their traditional uh, distributors and, and, and uh, technicians. So, so it's all about finding the right use case, finding the right operating model to, to serve them, but also finding what is the client ready to pay for such services. Huh? I was talking about convenience. Convenience, it's, it's, it's more expensive huh? because there is mm. somebody monitoring that the temperature in my house is properly 21 degrees, that my machines are well configured, but I'm paying somebody to, to, to deliver that overall service. Um, mm. Not all clients are ready to do that yet. Um, and again, if tomorrow somebody comes knocking at your door and asking, uh, can I replace some parts out of your refrigerator because I think it will break down in two days or in two weeks, I'm not sure that you will be happy for that. And huh? all of a sudden you're imposed to cost and you're not, you're not even sure it will break down. Huh? So, so we're not living in such a world yet. Uh, so if you would say the Internet of Things, of, of connected things with all of the services accompanied, that doesn't really exist yet. Huh? We are only starting. Uh, I often talk in Deloitte about the different futures of, if you talk about the future of energy, balancing the grid, yeah, we've already done proof concept of grid balancing with alternative energy net generators and then in split seconds and two seconds, four seconds framework uh, um, uh, response times, balancing the energy over an entire net. Yes, we have developed the architecture. Yes, it's running. We know that it's there. But the business model that is necessary to have your neighbor generating energy for you that you can consume, that doesn't exist yet because you have regulated markets. There is so much constraint with a continuation of the service. And so, so we're not ready to, to uh, embrace the full potential of that. Um, so, mm. so it's only starting. Huh? Mm. So I'm, I'm really happy to be in this space. I'm always happy when I can come in front of my exco and talk about the opportunity that IoT actually presents because... It's a world of opportunity. If you look at the future of food, it's going to be IoT driven. And from from uh, uh, from farm to fork, there is the traceability they have to provide. There is the the the, the processing of different food products, etc. All of the way to what to, to when it is consumed. Well, that's IoT. When you talk about uh, the, the future of manufacturing, it's all real time information that can tell you something about how a a furnace is being used and therefore optimizing cost in your in your energy. So mm -hmm. yes, but it's it just it hasn't even emerged yet. Huh? Mm -hmm. So we have all a very bright future in IT in front of us. Um, uh, sometimes conflicting because there are so many world congresses on on Internet of Things about the potential. Uh, but I remember a couple of years ago uh, in one of the speeches there was asked who made money out of the Internet of Things, and only a couple of people raised their hands. And the question was immediately: You're probably all consultants, right? You have consulted your clients about what is possible, but to really grasp the value, to really have business case and to go to scale, I only know a couple of companies that are successful in that. Mm. That, you know, that's a really poignant point that you've just made there. Uh, you know, the theory and the strategy behind it is widespread, but the actual implementation uh, doesn't catch up with that yet. Um, and I think, I think for me, and I'd like to know your views on this, I think for me, it's almost as if it's slightly ahead of its time from a cultural aspect. You talk about the fridge, you know, so if the fridge breaks, well, has the potential to break down, um, you know, would someone necessarily want to fix something that wasn't broken down yet? And I think that's because it's a cultural shift in the sense that they people aren't aware yet that we can harvest ATA to understand that there's going to be a, a, fun, a functional problem. Um, but also 
you know some of the some of the plagues behind IoT is standardization as well. You know, and uh, and just a sheer amount of um, uh, demystification that's required, right? So a lot of people talk about it in lots of different contexts, and there's lots of different names for different things. And in your view, do you think that's one of the reasons why? we're still at the early stages and perhaps that, you know, people haven't made as much money or been as that successful in implementing solutions yet. Now, um, I'm going to talk about a a very concrete example that I've been able to deliver a couple of years ago. Uh, We worked for a large chemical client on a hypercompressor, a hypercompressor that pumps ethylene up to 3000 bar, very large machine. So we were able to leverage all existing sensors on that machine, about 1,100 sensors. We found the very critical ones that can predict failure. And so we were able to build a model that could predict failure two weeks in advance, which is a very, very good result for that that type of machine. Okay, good. Now I can predict it. I have a model that works. I have a model that needs to be maintained. Expensive, but every time an incident happens, I can save about 250K. So... It's not petty cash, huh? so mm-hmm. it's a it's it's a real business case. But to make that come alive, I need changes in my manufacturing standards. I need process changes. I need to train people, and that part alone took us two years. Huh? So proof concepts, three months to deliver a a model that works and predicts, and then two years to get it integrated into the normal business. So that's why right, it's sometimes so difficult to prove the value because I have to change an entire organization that has a different mindset. You were thinking about the culture. Now I can predict something, but do I always believe the algorithm? Do I always... Um, um, uh, yeah, there are so many changes happening on these machines, so I need to retrain, I need to... So there is a lot of work to be done to have a sustainable operations. At the other hand, I had another case, also for a manufacturer, I was able to pr- uh, predict process parameters that could uh, fix a specific bend in a in a board. Huh? So a, a boarding, uh, a flooring company huh? that, that is building boards. We predict really uh, how much it would bend. We can correct it by changing pressure times, etc. So a very interesting use case. And there we thought it would take a very long time because it's a very complex process. No, it didn't. It took us, it took us three weeks to convince the operator that this model can do the work as good as they could. So it really depends on the case. I'm very aware that we probably charge this client way too, too little money for that, that model that, we, that we've built. Uh, and on the other hand, we probably charged too much for the actual result which we, we could achieve. So the business cases will always be somewhat complex in this early stage because there is so much that needs to change within the organization. Uh, when it comes down to processes, talents, the capabilities that, that need to be uh, put in place for, for sustainable actions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, we are at early stage, but nevertheless, um, I see still a lot of potential in surgery, huh? um, having connected mm-hmm. uh, devices there as well, and that can learn us better on how to operate specific machines. That's certainly the case for projectors, for instance, that we now know how long they will run and we can change the light bulbs a lot, a lot easier because it's an easy case. So there, is, there are cases where it's very successful, but they're more isolated. And there are cases where it's a lot more difficult because you have to change so much of the existing, this existing organization. Mm-hmm. There's some good, good, good points that you've made there, and some good examples. What, what struck me about that is that a lot, a lot of it is a cost-saving measure, 
as opposed to it generating money. Uh, so that's, yeah. that's, an in, that's an interesting point there, isn't it? Yeah, if I look at the projects today, and I talk now on a global scale, we, we always look at projects that are there to optimize huh? mm-hmm. um, efficiency or workforce management, etc. And we are projects with no business models. Huh? 85% is on optimize. Uh, only 15% is on new product development. Um, and at least they go unnoticed because we are building in a lot more connectivity in these products, but we're not selling it as such yet. Huh? Mm. Uh, the whole factor of the, the tire manufacturer going for a tire as a service meant as well that we had to measure uh, tread depth of a tire uh, and that we had to install certain um, um, computer vision uh, based devices in all transporters. But yeah, what I'm saying is that yes, it's possible with a couple of new sensors and we can stabilize the activities to go to a global scale, it, it seems to be a bit more uh, more, more effort and it's heavily underestimated on what the changes are in the entire supply chain. Guys, we're excited to partner with Hardware Pioneers for their annual show in London. If you don't know, Hardware Pioneers are a community of over 15,000 innovators building IoT products. Uh, HP are on a mission to accelerate learning and facilitate business connections among the people who are building a smarter world. Join the conference on Tuesday the 25th of October in London. You've got guest speakers from the likes of NXP, Edge Impulse, Ublocks. And actually, you can get 50% off your ticket code using IPMAX50. Links to sign up are in the description and in the comments. And I'm excited to see you there in person. That leads me on quite nicely to, um, to my next uh, question, is to understand a bit more about the specific industries in which Deloitte is focusing on. Um, I know there's four, isn't there? Is that right, Tim? Well, uh, what we do mostly, um, and it's not really related to industries, I would say, but if you look at the use cases, which are um, um, most distributed across the globe, is everything that has to do with connected manufacturing logistics. Uh-huh. And so there you will see around 60% of all of the cases that we have done sits in that space. I would say connected infrastructures. And for me, that is a pretty broad space. Uh, connected infrastructure is um, grids, smart grids, airports, ports, everything that has heavy um, assets um, involved. And I do, I work on two hobby projects, uh, as I call them, because they don't generate uh, as much revenue as we would like them, because it's still novel topics with um, connected foods, and that goes pretty broad, and connected health. And these are very interlinked. But for me, these are topics where we as the Lord should work upon. Uh, in which industries we do this? For us, we have a qualification. There is, uh, there is a lot going on in the automotive sector, um, on the connected cars, the vehicle to infrastructure, all of the type of use cases. We are not that involved in, in these kind of cases. We are more than in the development of the ecosystems, the data space that are required to make this ecosystem come to life. So we were mostly in energy and resources and industrial products. So the heavy industries, oil and, oil and gas, chemicals, uh, industrial products. And we work mostly, uh, the second industry is consumer business and retail. So everything that has to do with logistics, uh, improving store operations, that's where we are, are quite active as well. Then yeah. as last, you also would have public sector uh, uh, related use case. We are in the smart city type of, of cases. Honestly, it's all about mobility these days. Uh, improving mobility, improving um, an understanding on how a city is being used, but the real smart city with everything connected from 
from the, the, the lighting to uh, all households, it's only emerging today. For one of the energy uh, providers today, uh, one of the TSOs, we are looking at how you can connect behind the meter. All of the devices which sit behind the meter, how can we access the data they are creating to have a better a view on energy consumption and therefore a better pricing on the energy market. That is a very novel use case um, and a very complex one because you you work with heterogeneous devices. Uh, mm. But but that's kind of where we are most active. But for me, what what my personal passion is is everything around food and health, uh, mm. and moreover around, around around sustainability in general. Uh, I think IIT can 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 have a lot of value in, in the sustainability cases, uh, whether it's on providing actual data on sustainability reporting to provide to do energy optimization to have a, a, a less food waste for instance yeah. IT really has a tremendous role it can play there um, with with developing new sensors but just also connecting all of the information sources which are currently already available and so for me that that's really a passion uh, we but uh, what we tend to forget in sustainability is that there are always three dimensions, uh, very, very important. There, you have, of course, the real sustainability aspect of things. Huh? Is it uh, ensuring a better, uh, a better world to live in? But it has to be combined with economics. Because huh? um, mm-hmm. a sustainability solution, which is not economically viable, will not survive. Huh? So we, we seem to forget that at some point, people should still find a business model that, that really can work for them. Um, and there is also the societal impact that something will create. Societal sustainability, how can we really include a larger part of the population into the digital solutions that we are offering? Because you cannot have a fully autonomous connected device that nobody, um, uh, an elderly, can no longer use. Huh? That, that would not be very inclusive. So for me, if it is on the verge of those three axes, I think IIT can really play a role. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think um, I think it's interesting what you said there, and I think from so you've got two things: you've got your your personal interest and the hobbyist side, and then you've got obviously what what makes sense at the moment and what is most crucial, and that um, yeah. that that um, coincides quite nicely with other people that we've had on the show. So when it comes to uh, smart manufacturing, I, IoT. Um, uh, initiatives in that area that's probably what you're called on a lot um but the sustainability aspect is something that's dear to me and something that is within our values um as an organization yeah. um and i really like that so i, I actually want to touch on that slightly so you mentioned around connected food um could you could you explain a bit more what that, what that means um, because i'm curious to to know what that what that is well you can look at it from um a couple of angles um, connected food Manufacturing, for instance. Yeah. So, can I optimize the, the the entire food supply chain and more specifically the food manufacturing piece of it? Yes, absolutely. I have an example where we worked uh, um, very recently with uh, Savola Foods. Uh, that's a, a an edible oil producer in the Middle East. A very interesting company. They're market leader in their in their space. They own about seventy percent of the market. Well, actually, by Going into the refineries and looking at their silos on how they were, uh, how these tanks were mixed uh, for one. And so, can we uh, assess what mixture is really in the larger silos and then combine it with refinery data and inline measurements of oil quality? 
Well, just combining these two data sources reduces um, at minimum 3% oil loss, 3% oil of everything which is produced. If you then know that in the entire food ecosystem, uh, almost 45% of food produced is waste. 45% mm. of everything we produce is waste. It's crazy, then, that number, isn't that, it? That's phenomenal. If you can then just save 3% in the production and then save mm. a bit in the packaging, that's what we need to do. There is so much waste going on in the, the entire process, and we really are helping clients like that to optimize really the entire chain. And it, it, it allows you to avoid uh, even chemical parts of that process eh? because now you have a natural filtering that you could do because if you have a, a much finer way of measuring uh, the inline quality of, of, of that production process. For me, that's one element of it. The second is when you are transporting, talk about the perishables, eh? they produce a certain ethylene. And so some products uh, produce ethylene. So if you can measure it, you can also estimate whether it's still eatable or not. Uh, for some, it's ethylene. For others, it's acids. Uh, but you know where, whether it's still okay to consume a product and you can reduce a bit the safety, which is already on uh, the on the label of that uh, of that product. Huh? So again, mm -hmm. it would reduce a bit more of the waste. Huh? Mm -hmm. uh, now, if you, you can do it even better, there are ethylene absorbers that you can put into packaging. Huh? And then that makes that, for instance, strawberries, in, instead of being um, valid for a week, they're valid for a month huh? because you have absorbed uh, actually what makes the product go, go, uh, go bad. So I think there is in food production, um, the production itself, the transport and the way that uh, when we are consuming so much things that we can do to, to come to a, a, a more sustainable supply chain. And so for me, that's, that's absolutely crucial that we continue to work on, on what is needed. So then we are talking about from farm to fork uh, that we can really optimize the entire process. But the next step is from fork what we actually need to consume uh, to farm again. Uh, so we can adapt what is being produced in the right quantities with the right herbicides, with the right pesticides, because we know what it will do to a certain population of people. And so the inverse movement also still has to be, uh, has to be taken. So we're still in the early stages of optimizing through IoT the whole, the whole process. Uh, what about uh, reversing it and, and actually pinpointing in the different uh, elements of the cycle on what needs to happen. So I'm really excited mm -hmm. about uh, every, everything that we are doing currently in the Middle East, but also in, in, in the other companies that are uh, producing food or controlling food. Huh? Because today we're still driving to, um, to a milkery huh? to, to, uh, to put in a label whether the, the milk is being properly uh, uh, extracted from the cows, but you can also measure that from a remote uh, location, right? So mm -hmm. you can already avoid going to a specific uh, production site, we can do that remotely. Uh, so many opportunities there in that space. I think uh, we will see a lot of progress over the next years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we've had a couple of people on the show uh, with smart cattle ranches where they monitor where uh, cows are going, where the herds are. Um, we've had uh, people on, in fact, senseless Belgian business talking about yeah. freight monitoring. Um, and that, that, I mean, that stat that you mentioned about 45%, I've heard that before. It's just absolutely crazy that we would lose nearly half of the food that we transport, uh, as perishable waste. It's just, it's just incredible that, you know, that we can allow that to happen as a race, right? You know, we need to fix that. But I think the other thing that you, you mentioned here is, you know, farm to fork. So something I'm interested in is something that we've spoken about 
in the podcast is also vertical farming, right? Yeah. So, you know, it just shows the, the the wealth of which everything within IoT can connect to other IoT initiatives. So when we talk about connected food, culling down that transportation time by having a vertical farm, um, you know, sometimes located right next to where it needs to be, um, you know, has has enormous benefits as well. So I can understand why you're why you're passionate around that from an environmental and societal point of view, right? Um, I think we are really at the early stages, aren't we? Well, we're we're learning every day um, mm. how to uh, better grow certain crops. You talk about vertical farms, then you are very close to the crops that you're trying to. Um, that you try to uh, to harvest, um, um, optimizing the lighting, optimizing the nutrition that you are giving uh, on a, a much more limited space, and then avoiding that there needs to be uh, a, a transport of 100 kilometers, 200 kilometers to the location where you need to go. That's already a very, very interesting, um, a very interesting evolution. But we haven't um, started yet. Uh, we've uh, worked in the past on um, agronomy advisors. Eh? Uh, we were measuring. Uh, the soil composition and then based on the soil composition and what was harvested in the uh, in the seasons before we could say well to allow you to harvest x amount of grain now on that plot you will need x amount of kilos of uh, of uh, natrium and etc etc and so all of a sudden it becomes uh, a lot more scientifically driven uh, we can avoid uh, uh, over uh, over fertilizing, over pesticiding uh, in one go. Now th- there is a down a down to that as well. Uh, at one hand, you have regulation defining per uh, per country per region on how much fer- uh, fertilization, how much pesticides you can you can uh, you can use. At the other hand, it doesn't really say anything eh? because the farmer that is then uh, keeping a piece of the land to grow crops for himself on that piece of land he's only using half of the pesticides huh? so when it's for himself he doesn't care about the limits he will not do the maximum he will do the absolute minimum so there, there still seems to be a discrepancy between what is what he's regulated to do what he's allowed to do by regulation and what he's doing for himself huh? so wouldn't we have to ask him a bit better on what the real requirements would be for a specific region to have the optimal crop. Um, I still see that that there is a, a lot for us to learn about how we can adapt policy to really uh, to really get to safer products. Uh, but, mm. but again, that is a very complex matter. There are regulators that know what they're doing, but it's very hard when there is so, so much difference between the individual countries and the individual... So, if you are uh, somebody that owns a lot of land in different regions, it is not even the same. So agronomy advice is really per plot and per uh, per farmer even uh, uh, on, on what needs to happen. So I think, yes, yes there, is, uh, there is great evolution possible, but to change that, that world, uh, there is still a lot to be done and in the, um, in the mindset of the farmer and in the mindset of regulation and in the mindset of the consumer. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and and I think these are some of the things that are perhaps stunting the growth, right? Regulatory um, standardization, as I mentioned earlier. And it's a shame because, you know, everything that we've spoken about today has a real impact on people and the environment. 
Um, and it's very few IoT cases out there that doesn't enrich or help people's lives. And I think, you know, as an industry, I don't know what your views are on this, but I, I feel as though we need a marketing overhaul of what IoT is so that it gets into the mainstream so that people can really understand the benefits. Because no. I think at the moment, you know, outside of this podcast and outside of the people that we associate with, it's still seen as this esoteric, small uh, technology spectrum around connecting devices. But it's so much more than that. And I think if people understood it and we could simplify it, maybe we could beat some of these regulatory issues and, and advance them forward. Yeah, but then you need heroes. Huh? Mm. You need uh, political heroes uh, that really... Um, go along with the thought, the thought way that you're just uh, proclaiming there. I'm going to give mm. an example, um, and it's a Belgian example. We have a, something called iNosis. Uh, so we know we can measure pollution in different areas of, of Belgium. Um, very interesting because we know uh, actually the areas where people would better not live uh, because it's too polluted, there isn't too much emissions, etc. Now, we know that at a long-term people might get, uh, have, have a higher tendency to get sick in these areas, right? So we know that, huh? but still we're not relocating these peoples to a safer, more healthier environment mm -hmm. because that, that costs a lot of money. So the money is still in the curative healthcare and uh, corrective healthcare rather than in the preventive healthcare. Because if you would really do uh, trust the data that we have and make policy decisions and move people, and it comes with a lot of pain, I realize that, huh? pulling out somebody from their their, their uh, hometown or their, their street where there is a social tissue, where there is an entire ecosystem uh, for the, them personally. It, it's a very hard thing to do, but if it saves lives in 10 years' time, shouldn't we just do it? And I see that examples um, in Helsinki, for instance, that is already being done. Huh? So I'm just wondering, living here in Belgium, why are we spending much more attention on preventing things from happening and, and shifting the budget from uh, for these types of causes. Uh, it, you need heroes. Huh? Again, mm -hmm. when will you give uh, your data away to a health institution? Huh? You're not giving that data when you're, when you're healthy. You're giving that data when you're sick, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Then there is an urgency for you. And then mm -hmm. you, you give it already away to Google. Huh? Google can have everything of your life. But when it comes down to using it for finding different pathologies, um, root cause of certain diseases, yeah, we're not actually contributing as a society to that. Huh? Yeah. Uh, and then I hear some of our politicians saying we should have more data heroism or maybe even an obligation to give parts of our data away huh, for the greater good. Data that can, in an anonymized way, help in clinical trials, in genome assessment, etc. So, so it is possible to do that, but we're, we're sometimes scared of demanding uh, such, such data from, from the citizens because, let's be honest, it's political suicide. When you say, I now need of, of the Belgian population of the 10 million people that live in Belgium, I would need this set of your data because I can save other people. I will not do that. But I, mm. I think in the end, we will need a lot more data heroes huh, that can help us to solve some of the bigger issues in the world. Uh, the example I'm giving about the cities, if there are already cities doing it huh, and creating healthier cities, why isn't Belgium just following that example? Why is it so difficult to, to do the right thing? Um, it, it seems to be a lot more difficult than, than we would have imagined. So IIT can really have 
a tremendous societal impact because the data, real-world evidence, which we sometimes lack in the trials that we do, uh, is not always being accepted uh, because there is protectionism, because there is uh, an, a, a system that doesn't work that way yet. Uh, but I hope that in the future, when we talk about the future of health, where well-being or health becomes a subscription, that we have these data companies that we trust to get that data to, for us to give us part of our our personal data away just to help other people. And that will help us tremendously as an, as an economy and a society. It is quite philosophical. You know what, when, when you were saying that, um, I kept thinking in my head, you know, you only pray when you're in trouble or someone, you know, is in trouble yeah. and you, in, you know, you only give your data away when you need to give your data away. And I guess the problems that we've got sometimes from a philosophical point of view is to trust. So, you know, to, to touch on IoT security, IoT security talks about a zero trust policy, right? So at the moment, it's like juxtaposed, right? You need the data and you need data heroes in order to do more with this stuff. And you need the political stance to do more and to enable things more. Um, but then you have um, hysteria sometimes in the news and sometimes rightly so about the misuse of data. So it, it's, it's almost like a catch-22 situation. Right. And I think a lot of this boils down again to, you know, the demystification and really explaining in simple terms the benefits. But the iNOS solution is fantastic. Um, I'm based in Bristol in the UK and we had, uh, we had something similar here that was in a proof of concept, uh, stage, uh, around air pollution. In fact, Bath, the city of Bath, which is very close to Bristol, has been voted the most polluted city, uh, in Europe or pre-Brexit, um, ever. Right. The most polluted city that there, there has been. Right. And, um, you know, people will suffer from this. But until we properly do something about it, it's not going to happen, is it? Right. Yeah. So I, I, I hear your points. Yeah, so will the city relocate these people? Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, 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 so if that's you the know that, side to it. You now have the insights. What will you do with that, these insights? Right. Mm. And it costs a lot mm. of money to relocate 50,000 people. Let's be let's mm. be let's be very clear. It costs a lot of money to do that, but maybe we should should just do that, huh? um, and that means in, indeed destroying social tissues, etc. But then again, mm. it would not uh, inflict one. It would save lives, huh? and I think that's the greater cost. But it would also avoid costs in the future, huh? and therefore yeah. everybody gets gets better out of that. That yeah. is a very difficult yeah. discussion to have. It, it, it is, but you know the first, the first part of tackling the problem is identifying it yeah. and to raise it and to know that there is a problem and in order to find a solution. So I I completely understand where you're coming from, which it leads me quite nicely on to you know the future in your view and that of Deloitte's view. Uh, obviously, look, you know things are moving at a rapid pace uh, and and very strange times we live in. You know we've got the whole. Uh, crypto web free uh, kind of market going into turmoil and a big winter coming and, and lots of different things happening. What is what is the future for IoT in Deloitte's eyes? Well, well I think there are um, there are many futures. Huh? I think we need um, we can use the Internet of Things to automate a lot of the tasks that we have because we will now have contextualized data on on processes, on machines, on humans even, and then can automate some of the actions or nudge them for better behavior, etc. So I think IoT will fuel the future 
it will accelerate through 5G because there will just be more data and faster available uh, from assets which are fielded somewhere. Uh, so how I see it is, if I look at all of the future that we are serving, whether it's future of food, future of energy, future of controls, future of regulation, it will all be IoT driven. The Internet mm. of Things will create the data which is required to get to better insights and to automate these insights and to automate these ultimately the process around it. So it will lead to either uh, an optimization of a process, cost reduction, uh, more efficiency, and actually just a better a better world. Uh, that's our view. So whatever sector that you were looking at, IoT will drive either a, a, a better customer experience or an optimized uh, uh, product flow or an optimized process or, or all across the board. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's, a, that's a, lovely, a lovely way to put it. And it resonates with me. I, I always say to people, Tim, you know, I'm most excited about the things I, I don't even expect to happen in this industry. Yeah. You know, that's the things that excite me most, you know, the uh, the people that will be doing stuff that wouldn't even be on the radar. And I think that that's possible, isn't it? So, uh, yeah, absolutely. But, but look at an example. Yesterday, I had by accident uh, a conversation with uh, a startup out of Japan. Um, they've developed a mesh network of sensors which can predict air, air, uh, air uh, excuse me, earthquakes. Huh? Um, okay. So they tested it out in Japan, China and a couple of other regions of the world. So by just putting a mesh network of uh, 300 sensors, they can predict five days to 10 days up front for earthquakes. That means that you can, uh, with an accuracy of an epicenter of 50 kilometers, which is very, very good, right? That's IT as well. Huh? So to create a network mm -hmm. of information sources that can predict some something bad that will happen. Now I can shut down a generator. I can uh, shut down certain production facilities that otherwise uh, might get into trouble. I can relocate people. I can therefore save lives. Huh? So it's a very nice example of IoT, uh, and not even expensive IoT, by the way. I've, I've looked at mm -hmm. the price, and it's not not that uh, that tremendous that that a region would have to pay to be able to predict uh, such a, a terrible and economically um, damageful event. Huh? Um, so I think, yeah, yes, IoT will prevent uh, water losses, it will prevent energy from, from being spoiled, it, it will prevent food from being wasted. So there are so many use cases which will emerge that I hope that uh, that everybody can see the benefit and, and have the impact on its personal life. So for me, IoT will solve some of the problems in the world, not all of the problems in the world, but at least give us the right amount of data and probably too much data to handle some of these world issues. Yeah, yeah. And if you're going to give your data away to, to Google, you might as well give it across to some IoT businesses as well that can that can um, do other things with it, right? So yeah, uh, the, the, yeah, there is of course the we have to make sure that our the, that our data is being used in the in the right way. Huh? Uh, I always talk mm. about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Huh? Data can be used for good causes, um, the intended causes. The data can be used. For a bad cause, uh, can you uh, imagine if you hack a surveillance camera, you see when people are not there huh? instead of the pe when people are there. But what if you use these images 10 years from now? Huh? Uh, that, that can give very ugly effects. Huh? So you were uh, uh, you were uh, smoking in front of your house uh, all the time, and now, now your health insurance will become a bit more expensive. Very extreme example. Mm. It will not happen like that, but that's good, bad, and ugly. Huh? Um, mm. We always have to be aware that we, we need to use data for the intended use. We have to protect it, uh, even in data vaults when it comes down to personal sensitive data. 
um, but we have to give access to the right ecosystems that can do good with that data. Huh? Whether it's a business, yeah. whether it's a health organization, whether it's uh, a, a, a food manufacturer, it should be possible to, to use it for multiple causes. But then again, understanding where it's going towards, for how long it's it's valuable, what what consent did I give? Huh? Sometimes also going beyond the consent if it can save lives. So there needs to be rules around it. And I think the European institutions are working around uh, a cloud rule book uh, to, to, to make sure that, uh, that our cloud providers that are out there are doing the right things as well, not only on data, of course, but, uh, but uh, uh, more general. But we, yeah, we need rules that uh, we get an ethical, uh, sustainable uh, data usage. Mm. Mm. And these are big words, huh? ethical, sustainable, yeah. uh, very big words. What is ethical uh, in data? Yeah. Well, I, I, I get it. I love the analogy, the good, the bad and the ugly, right? Um, I'm just worried if any insurance companies are listening, they might take that little, uh, <laughs> that point you said, and might start harvesting a CCTV footage. But, you know, crazier things have had in insurance companies, you know, they've, they've, they've done that in the past, rightly and wrongly, mm -hmm. um, with other things. So I, I get it. Uh, Tim, it's been wonderful having you on the show. I'm just going to uh, finish with some quick fire round questions and get a okay. bit of an insight into you. Uh, favorite gizmo? that you've got favorite gadget that you've got at home <laughs> um oh uh i have so many just ones just one tim <laughs> um uh, i have a, a very specific uh wearable that is measuring my glucose um and okay. that is therefore uh, helping me to understand what i'm eating um but also when i do when i'm doing uh, a training program uh, i'm using glucose to see when i should eat what i should eat um and therefore optimizing my performance Okay. Well, what a, what a, what a fantastic, um, you know, what a fa fantastic, uh, gadget. I, um, was very close to someone that was diabetic and, uh, and I think some of the, some of the devices that are coming out with that, are, they're amazing. Uh, driverless cars. Yes or no? Yes. Apple or Android? <laughs> Apple. Okay. Uh, biggest achievement in your career? Um, it's something I'm very. You can say you can say joining Deloitte. Yeah, yeah. joining Deloitte, <laughs> but, but more specifically, uh, I, I was able to help um, on the mutualization of a security system for the region of Brussels. Um, and if you look at wow. it, uh, we now have one um, system that holds all of the cameras of the re Brussels region under one umbrella. It were also these cameras that helped us to track the terrorists from. That, that attacked our, our airport huh? a couple of uh, a couple of years later. So if I look at one project I'm particularly proud of, it's going to be that one huh? because I helped actually to make sure that we could uh, that we could find a terrorist that that really damaged our country. Wow. What advice would you give to your younger self, Tim? Uh, keep on learning and enjoy while learning. <laughs> that that foremost. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Tim, it's been fantastic. I've really enjoyed today. Uh, you've got such a passion for the industry and I think it's coming across loads uh, from sustainability to where we can be. Uh, it's absolutely it's absolutely great. Um, where can people find out a bit more about uh, what Deloitte are doing in IoT? I, I assume the website? Yeah, absolutely, the website. We have a, a website and there is a portion dedicated to Internet of Things uh, in its various domains, huh, when it's on, around food or smart manufacturing. So you can always find a lot of information on uh, on our website. 
We also have different podcasts or, or YouTube channels like Mr. IoT, where we talk about various subjects in IoT as well. So uh, <laughs> just Google Deloitte and IoT, you'll find that. things. Very good. Tim, thank you for coming on to the IoT podcast show. With pleasure. Thank you. A big thanks to today's sponsors, Hardware Pioneers. Guys, the event Hardware Pioneers Max 2022 is taking place on the 25th of October 2022 in London. Uh, check out the 50% discount code, sign up with the details in the description and in the comments. I'll be there, my team will be there. It's a fantastic event. Get yourselves there.